Let us give attention to the public reading of God's Holy Scripture as we find it in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John and the Word of the Lord, uh, verses 31 to 35. When therefore He had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and will glorify Him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You shall seek Me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. Now I say to you also, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are My disciples, if you have love for one another." Please do take your Bible and open to John's Gospel that we just read. I will actually be focusing our attention on verses 34 and 35, though we did read in starting in verse 31. Having read the Scriptures, I would like to ask you to bow your head once more with me and let's ask the Spirit to illumine our hearts. Oh God, you have said in your word that you esteem above all things your name and your word. Far be it from us to do anything less. Would you, oh God, take your word and seal it on the hearts of your people this morning. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to Grace Bible Church. Feed us, nourish us, convict us, equip us. In and through the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, we pray. Amen. And then there was light. (laughs) One of the most common, commonly known, Commands of the Old Testament comes to us in Leviticus chapter 19, which states, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, when Jesus in his own ministry is asked to summarize the whole of the law and the prophets, what does he say? To love your, the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, in interacting with the lawyer, is asked, which is the greatest commandment? And he answers in so many words. It's no overstatement to say that the great imperative of the Old Testament is that we are to love God and love our neighbor. It is pervasive in the whole of Scripture. Jesus, in Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, or as it is sometimes called in Luke's Gospel, the Sermon on the Level Place, says, love our enemies, we are to bless those who curse us, receive offense without retaliation, and even to be merciful as the Father is merciful. Here we find ourselves in the upper room in John 13, perhaps a a familiar scene to you. We find the disciples gathered privately with Jesus. 
in what will soon prove to be a most extraordinary encounter and occurrence. But in these words in John 13, Jesus in verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. I want to ask the question this morning as we look at these two verses, what's new about the new commandment? This is a very old commandment. What does Jesus possibly mean that this commandment is new? With assurance that Jesus is not having an early onset senior moment, What is it that he means when he declares to his disciples a new commandment I give to you? A few years ago, it was a major rage on the internet and in particular on YouTube. Some of you have probably seen these clips, three minutes, four minutes long, of an artist who is standing before a black canvas with his paintbrushes in each hand. Music begins to play, the the light is on the canvas, and the artist begins making strokes on the canvas that seem absolutely indiscernible. These incoherent strokes on the canvas, as incoherent as they look to us, the artist looks like he's doing something very purposeful. And yet the longer he paints the more incoherent the painting looks to us. Then finally the music reaches a crescendo and he stops. And he takes the piece of art and turns it upside down. And all of a sudden, leaping off the canvas in precise detail with depth and texture and brilliant lighting is a masterpiece of some portrait. Throughout the history of God's people, God has been at work painting on the canvas of history. From our vantage point, apart from God speaking to us, these strokes often seem incoherent. We can't quite make sense of what he is doing. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples as we look in verse 31, now is the Son of Man glorified. I want you to be very aware of what is going on here. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we see this even in the Gospel of John. In prior chapters, he will say, the hour has not yet come for me to be glorified. Not yet. Keep waiting. And then we find Jesus in this upper room with a group of seemingly hapless disciples. And what is worse is that there's a mole. There's a traitor in the room. There's a betrayer in the room. And yet it is at this point in verse 31 that Jesus, right after he has sent out Judas, why has he sent him out? He has sent him out to go 
and carry out his own betrayal. And Jesus says, now, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. Look at the end of verse 30. We'll read all of it. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out and it was night. Oh, was it night. The darkest hour on the stage of human history. Darkness had set in. Darkness had set into the very soul of Judas Iscariot. It was a moment of cosmic darkness like no other. And in a fury of what seemed to be inane, if not insane, strokes on the canvas, God is being glorified in the light of the world. It is, as it were, a moment of tyranny. Here the bread of life has given Judas this morsel. And Jesus, in that act, is showing how he is giving of himself to be devoured. And it is in that very moment when he says, now is the Son of Man glorified. At this moment of cosmic darkness. It is there and then that the light blazes forth. It is as it were at the cross in the, in the death of Jesus Christ that is imminent that God is taking the canvas of world history and turning it upside down. Wherein at that moment of darkness, the light of the world shines. And what looked like the crushing of hope was actually its very source. The cross is that climactic moment of the display of divine glory. It is, as it were, the great moment of the glorious manifestation of the love of God. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when in verse 34, when Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. What makes this new commandment new? It is because in this moment of cosmic darkness, when God's light is actually going to be on display, the curse and control and mastery of sin is entirely taken over in the lordship of Jesus Christ at the cross, that in his death comes forth life. See, what's new about the new commandment is this cosmic moment. 
in which what appears to be tragedy, the glory of God, the love of God in Christ is on display. As Paul will put it for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, that in him all things are new. See, this old commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, has now attained an entirely different character in view of the comprehensive display of the glorious love of God in Christ. This cosmic moment is when the love of God is manifest before our eyes. You see, love attains its glorious brilliance as God turns the world upside down in the love of Christ. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. What's new? This cosmic moment. What else? This Verse 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. This language of of people knowing is first grounded in what we see at the end of verse 34. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. You see, in this cosmic moment, The power of God's love surges forth in and through Christ Jesus where we are enabled to love even as we are loved. This love is new not only because of this cosmic moment, but because of the compelling mandate that comes in and through the powerful work of Christ Jesus. Jesus Two times here in verse 34 says, you are to love one another. You are to love one another. This is in the context, if you'll remember in John 13, in the early chapters, in early verses, verse 1 begins with this astonishing statement that Jesus loved his disciples to the end. How does he show that? He shows that by taking that towel around his waist and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And here, these these words on Jesus' lips must be tied to that language of loving to the end, loving and serving. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ must never be reduced to some sort of emotive call for us to just respond to the love of God. But it's not less than that. You see, in the love of Christ that is on display in the cross, we are called to, we are compelled to follow the mandate to love. But we are also equipped to do so. The cross is no mere sentimental manifestation of God just merely showing us something that we should be impressed by. It is cosmically significant. And coming forth from the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is a whole new way for us to love. And he says, you are to love even as I have loved you. Some of you may have in the past 
been in difficult situation where you feel like you cannot love someone. Some of you have faced that in your marriages. I can no longer love my wife. I can no longer love my husband. I can no longer love my neighbor. Guess what? That's a fabulous place to be. You know why? Because it's not up to you and to me. Coming forth from the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in this cosmic moment of the display of the glory of God's love in and through Jesus on the cross of Calvary is not only a display of love, but the very impetus, the power by the outpoured spirit of love to flow in and through you as well. So when you're at the end of yourself, you're finally at the place where you can begin to love. Paul will tell us in Ephesians 4 to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, God's forgiveness of you is not because you were wonderful, but precisely because you're not. And this is why Jesus, in his words proclaiming love, he, he urges us to love our enemies. It's easy to love those who love us. It's easy to love those who are lovely. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus says that his love on display in this cosmic moment must not leave us unmoved. It calls us, it constrains us to love even as we have been loved. Look at verse 34 again. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. How's that, Jesus? I've loved you when you have been wholly unlovely. I have loved you to the very end. I have loved you by denying myself. I have loved you by washing your nastiness. You see, what makes this new commandment new is this cosmic moment when God turns the world upside down in the person and work of Christ Jesus, but also in this compelling mandate that we are to love even as we have been loved. As the hymn writer put it, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. People of God, please do not forget that Jesus is not asking you to do something that he does not fully equip you to do. This act of love of the disciples to the end, the willingness of Christ to go to the cross, is a manifestation of love indeed, but it is a manifestation that possesses divine power for the people of God to love as we have first been loved. See, what makes this commandment new is the cosmic moment, God turning the world upside down. What makes this commandment new is the manifestation of the love of Jesus for his disciples that compels us to love even as we have been loved. 
No, this is not based upon your own resources, your own power, or even your own desires. But it is in the context of the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that he says, love as I have loved you. Thirdly, that sets the stage for what we see in verse 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus, in the next chapter, in John 14, says this, I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Do you hear that? Jesus says, I do what the Father asks me, so that the world will know whom I love. And then he says, in verse 35 to us here, People will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are all familiar with the great commandment. We talked about it briefly in the Sunday school hour this morning. Going forth and making disciples of all the nations. But that call to make disciples is wholly embraced in this language in the upper room of Jesus calling his disciples to love. There will be no faithful mission where there is not genuine love of Jesus and love of what he loves. Disciple making by following Christ in Love. There will be no effective mission when the church does not love. To put it slightly differently, how is it that your neighbors are going to know that you love Jesus? Your neighbors will know by how you love the person sitting in the pew next to you this morning. You see, your neighbors who do not yet know Christ know how to love people who love them back. But what about those who are most unlovely? What about those who have offended you deeply? What about those who have sinned against you grievously? Your neighbors will have their heads spin if you love those who have been unloving to you. What Jesus is saying is the great apologetic of the church of Jesus Christ to compel the world with Christ is how we love one another. How do we love? You see, this love is new because of the cosmic moment of God turning the world upside down in Christ Jesus. This love is new because of the power of that love for us to love one another. But the mission of it, there is a comprehensive mission that Jesus has in view. It is not until Jesus is raised from the dead that the Spirit is descended upon the people of God to carry out global mission. What Jesus is saying is that global mission will be effective to the degree that the people of God love one another. The greatest tool for gospel advance is love. Look at this language again in verse 35. By this all people will know that you are my 
disciples. Notice Jesus associates love with ownership. You've been owned. I grew up in North Carolina where to live in North Carolina was to play basketball. That's all we did. And there was a season in playing on the streets in which when you made a good shot, you would look at your opponent who was trying to guard you, and you'd say, you've been owned. But see, Jesus' ownership is not an ownership of mockery. It is an ownership of servanthood. You've been owned because I have given my life for you. You belong to me. And Jesus is saying that our ownership by Jesus will be on display to the world to the degree that we obey him, to the degree that we do what he's called us to do, to love one another. John 15, a few verses later, he says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you think Jesus is trying to tell us something? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. But in the imperative to love... That imperative is grounded in the, is grounded in the all comprehensive power of the resurrected Christ to work that love through us in obedience and for the advance of the name of Jesus Christ to the nations. Loving the unlovely. My mother came to faith in Christ when I was six years old. Life changed in my house. My father soon thereafter came to faith in Christ. And in God's kind providence, one of the things that took place in my household is that my mom, as she sent my sister and me off to school, that she would spend the day studying her Bible. She did that for years. And young in her faith, I was about eight years old, and I had this problem at school. Every day I went to school, I was, I think, in about third grade, a sixth grade boy decided that I was going to be the object of his wrath. So he hunted me down on the playground every day to punch me, to kick me, to knock me down, and I would try to take matters in my own hands and hide behind a bush, or hide behind a teacher's skirt. This happened day in and day out, and finally I had had enough. This was not going to happen anymore, and this boy was going to have it. So you know what I did? I told my mom. (laughs) And my mom made what I will never forget, a most extraordinary answer. She said, I've just been reading what Jesus said about enemies. Let's try it out. 
We're called to love our enemies, son. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to pick up the phone and I want you to call this boy up and invite him over to the house to play. I looked at my mother and I said, you now not only want him beating me up at school, you want him beating me up in our own house. Thanks, mom. I love you too. I picked up the phone, hand shaking like this called him up, invited him over to play, and he came. Now, I am confident that my mother's nose was on the kitchen window watching what took place in the backyard. I don't doubt it for a second. But something happened. That boy never laid a hand on me again. Now, that was because of my mother's love. It wasn't mine. (laughs) But it was in obedience to Jesus. It's one of those lessons in life that in applying God's word, there is always blessing. You say, well, I can't love that person. Praise the Lord. Now Jesus will love him or her through you. For the sake of of the name of Christ and the mission of the church, the great manifesto that Jesus gives to the disciples. My love turns the world upside down. Now you are to live in light of my love. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount and the great Beatitudes that Jesus articulates in chapter 5, verses 3 through 12 of Matthew, did you realize as you look at the ethics that he calls us to, it is entirely the opposite of what the world tells you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the gentle. Really? Yeah, Jesus says, yeah, really. Trust me, follow me. My love will constrain you. And what Jesus has called us to do as the church that as he has turned the world upside down in the cross, he has called us to walk in view of how he has changed everything. And this new commandment that is based upon that cosmic moment that compels us with this new mandate that leads us to this comprehensive mission. To love as we've been loved. So that all people will know that you are owned by Jesus. John, the apostle, never forgot this either. In his first epistle, he tells us in chapter 2 the following words, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Church of Jesus Christ, God has turned you upside down. Which is really to say, he's turned you right side up. 
And He has called you to love. He's equipped you to love for the sake of His name and for a world that desperately needs to know Him. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Thank you, gracious Father in heaven, for taking us from darkness to light, from apathy to love, from indifference to delight in Jesus. Thank you for the efficacy of his life, death, and resurrection. We thank you that even as the bread of life was devoured, that the grave could not hold him down. That by the power of your Spirit, you raised him from the dead and us with him so that we might walk in newness of life. Thank you for your love, O God, that is on display for us in Christ, that enables us in Christ to love. O Father, we love you because you first loved us. We love, but O God, help us in our unloving hearts to repent and to delight in the one who is love incarnate. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.